As we begin this new year, we're talking about the five pillars that build that house. The pillars of the Reformation from the 1500s that are as current today as anything possibly could be. And today we focus on Christ alone, sola Christus, being the only hope in all of our days. We hear Paul writing to the Ephesians and telling us about that peace that comes from Christ alone when he said, so he came. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, those for whom the promise had been made initially. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. May that be what we build upon today. and May the world see that strong structure of Jesus Christ living in us as we worship him today and as we go from this place. May God be glorified as we stand together and worship the living God singing our praises. What a gift every person is. And that's one of the, the paramount virtues of the Reformation, the priesthood of all believers, that every single one of us is a minister. That's what the bulletin says. I, don't, I think we need not to take that for granted, that every week it says that, yeah, there's a pastor. It's not on there this week. It used to say, oh, there it is, yeah, that I'm the pastor, but the ministers are the congregation. All of us are the ministers. We all proclaim God's good news. And today we look at Christ alone who empowers us to do that. So listen as I read God's word for us, first from Romans 8, and then from 2 Corinthians, and then from the letter to the Galatians, who were Gentile Christians, like most of us are. And listen to how God speaks to us about the the solitary power of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin. He condemned us in the flesh, and then verse 4 continues, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul continues that very thought in chapter 5, and you're familiar with the, the first part of this where he, where he says, there is therefore no condemnation, and if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. He says of this, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Talking about Jesus. So that in him, we might become the righteousness or the character, the reflection of God. And to the Galatians, in chapter 2, Paul writes these words about 
what real freedom is. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Why would God have come in person and died and given up his own son if there was not a need for a justification that we could not accomplish on our own? And so in the fifth chapter, he writes these words in verses 2 through 4. And I'm going to read verse 1. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, an an outward act of work, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. If you think that act is going to get you off, then you've got to do everything. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May we do just the opposite of that. By God's Holy Spirit and hearing God's word, may we draw near boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive that refreshment that only God can give. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come now in the power of your Holy Spirit. Come and let your word reign upon us, upon our dry hearts, reign in us as the only king we would ever need. Come and be all that you came to set us free with. Oh Lord Jesus, speak to us in your Holy Spirit and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, for you are our rock. You are our redeemer. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, all these things in your holy name. Amen. So, I got within a year this week of Medicare. Okay, 64. If I'd known I was going to live this long, well, you know. (laughs) This has nothing to do with the relative merits or deficiencies of our health care system. But I realized that getting this close to a different chapter in how this physical thing is going to be taken care of, I had a really unique vantage point. I'm seeing over into a different place. And you know what I saw? You know what I saw? It's really interesting how God's Holy Spirit works. I saw and am seeing that for all I have learned and all I have studied and all I have memorized, which is quite a lot, how little I really need to know. That's what I'm realizing. How little I really need to know. And maybe it takes learning a great deal to know how much you don't need to know. If, if you learn what really matters, and that is what the gospel is all about, learning what really matters. And that's what these pillars of the Reformation were about. We're looking at knowing five things this month, five pillars from the 1500s that are a vantage point like turning a certain age, 
that show us what it is we really need to know. And, and how by making these five pillars our, our life's focus, how little we really need to know if we really know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord of our lives, Savior of all of our days. But you know what? It may well take, no, it, it doesn't may well. It will take a whole lifetime to learn what it means to really know and follow and belong to Jesus Christ, as we say in the Heidelberg Catechism, in life and in death. And not just physical death, but in spiritual death, dying to our own way of being. But that's okay. That's okay. In fact, it's more than okay. It's wonderful. Because if that's our only way in life, what else is there? In fact, it is such a relief to know that there are only five pieces of music to learn. How would you like that, musicians? <laughs> There's only five you need to know. And to really commit to our memory and to get really familiar with because I think this is where our, our real strength comes from. This is where the strength of life comes from, and that is being able and willing to abandon anything else and to know them so very well that we are not distracted by other non-essentials. I asked one of our groups this week, which of them in the room, and there, was, there were 30 people there, how many of them knew Romans 8-1 by heart, and you will be relieved on some level to know that even the old professor, Dwayne Glansman, did not know it until I gave them a hint and said, therefore there is, and they all said, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and they all jumped in. And you know why? Do you know why? Because these words are not a verse for those who are in Christ Jesus. They are a way of life. They are not theology before they are biography. It's like my favorite story of a little boy who was lost, and he didn't know his address. 8-1. I don't know. Therefore, oh, the lights come on. Little boy didn't know his address, but told the policeman who found him that if the policeman would take him to the cross, he could find his way home from there. It's a true story in my hometown. Because he would be able to see his home from that vantage point. See, we don't need to know the numbers if we know the name. Okay? We do not need to know the numbers if we know the name. And if we know the name, I think we'll probably know some numbers. We live in a time, as in the 1500s, where the vantage point of the cross has become clouded by human de definitions of hope, human definitions of hope, such that we can't even see our home because we don't even know that there is only one place from which to see our home. We're off here, there, boom, 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 running around. When rather, it is only as we stand in the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ that we will remember that he himself is the only one who could come to take us home and get us where we need to be, and he has 
and he does and he will. The church of the 1500s had forgotten what Christ alone meant. It had become clouded with human schemes. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. But it happens. It happens. Human schemes get in the, in the way. And the church today, the church today, particularly in the West, where we have so many things available to us, is way too caved in on human methods. Thinking that Christ alone is enough. His regard has, been, has become regarded as very unsophisticated or not attractive enough in the church today. And so you know what's happening instead? You know what's substituting for Christ alone? Ministering, quote unquote, to felt needs for sermons and to social action instead of being unreservedly on our knees day in and day out to the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's the treasure, nothing less. I, I preach and teach this every week. I, I thought as I, as I got ready to write this sermon, this is going to be a piece of cake or just a broken record. <laughs> and either way, it's all right. In fact, I told Dwayne Glansman and Dave Breeze Friday morning, I can preach this sermon in two sentences. And they said, oh, good. I said, well, they're going to be really long. <laughs> but they really, they really aren't. Okay, here it is. Short, short sermon, very brief, two sentences. We need Jesus Christ, period. Sec second sentence. Nothing in this world will take his place. End of sermon. Okay, I'm not going to pray out the benediction now, so don't get too excited. <laughs> but that's it. That's it. Christ alone. That's what Calvin was saying. It was what Luther was saying. Farrell, Bezos, Zwingli, and Knox, all the rest. Advanced degrees will not get it. I guarantee you, I've got one. It doesn't work. The pastor or your pope will not be able to give it to you or sell it to you. Keeping rules, your own or someone else's, won't make you whole. Joining the right political party and getting your candidate elected will not serve any purpose. It will not make you whole. Being smart won't get it. Being good-looking won't get it. Being powerful or accomplished or liked won't protect us. Nothing and no one will make you whole or give you what you truly need. And do you know why? Because they can't. No power of hell, no scheme of man, is no person, no thing, no entity is going to make us whole because those things can't. Ask anyone who's been elected to any position, even if it was junior high council. It will be the, the slickest way to find yourself opposed. No, only as our knees are bowed to Jesus will anything make sense. Only when our knees are bowed to Jesus will anything make sense. And then when our knees are bowed to Jesus, they will, it will only make sense on Jesus' terms. The world's terms will be nullified. The world's standards won't make sense. The cross to, does not make sense to the world. The apostle Paul said, 
the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is life. It makes us whole. Isaiah said it. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Paul said it, and guess what? Jesus did it. Jesus did it. We can't do what Jesus can do. Try. Just try. We do. Doesn't work, does it? That's what Paul was reacting to when he was calling the Gentile Galatians, Christians, away from circumcision. He says, don't buy into that. That's a scheme of man, or maybe worse, a power of hell. When we try to be like the world, we end up like the world in a world of hurt with nothing to show for it. We know we stand condemned. People might try to resist that. People may say that that's an old-fashioned uh, tale that, that has no help, that it only makes us feel bad about ourselves, but the fact of the matter is we all know it. We stand condemned because we cannot save ourselves. Keeping the rules won't save us. Being a good person will not save us. We will not spend eternity with the God of the universe because we were a good person for two reasons. One, that's not what he said is going to make us whole. And two, you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> I'm not. No, no one is. In fact, trying to keep the rules only shows us how futile it is and how much we need Jesus. You know, the Pharisees get a bum rap. One of the things the Pharisees did for us was show us how much we need grace because they were trying to keep all the rules and they weren't. And good old Nicodemus comes in the night and says, what must I do to be saved? You've got to be born again. You've got to come into a new life, a new way of being. You've got to stop trying to be your own savior, Nicodemus, Bruce. See, Paul gets it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness and the character of God. Because Jesus died for us. Because he loves us. He loves us very personally and intimately. And if we, each of us were the only person in the whole world, Jesus would have come and died for us. But the good news is he came and he died for all who claim his name. That's what, why the song we sang this morning is the most sung in churches in America today, in Christ alone. Not because it's trendy or even because it's the best music or tune but because of what it says. This will stand the test of time. A lot of these songs that have been written in the last 20 or 30 years, we're not singing anymore. There's something about that name, 1970, we were still singing. This is one we're still going to be singing. Listen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. I'm going to say that one again. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, 
when strivings cease. Quit trying to save yourself. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. God loves you. He loves you. Really loves you. Not just to play with, but really loves you. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by who? The ones he came to save. Till on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. You know, it's interestingly, the Presbyterian Church USA, to which this, did not, this church used to belong, asked if they could use this hymn in their new hymnal, but they wanted to know if they could change that line. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted the wrath of God was satisfied to be changed to the love of God was magnified. It's not enough. And the, and the authors of the hymn said, no, you may not. You may not have the copyright if you're going to change the words. We can't change those words. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. It's not that God is mean and angry and bitter. It's that sin is ugly and damaging and poisonous, and God is enraged at sin. And he does not want you and me separated from himself. So what does he do? He comes in person in Jesus Christ and absorbs and blots out that sin. Where? On the cross. For every sin on him was laid. Our condition was laid on him. Here, in the death of Christ, I live. See, there's the irony. That's what the world doesn't get. Jesus dies, and what happens? We live, right? There in the ground, and here's the, the kicker. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then, bursting forth on glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Amen? Amen. But here's the big question. Here's the big question. What does it mean? What does it look like for us to live in Christ alone when the world comes barging into our lives? Because that happens, doesn't it? I think we need to sit with this question and with letting God build the house of our lives with these five alones, the five solas of the promise of the Reformation. You see, when we doubt or worry, when we try to live up to the measurements of the world, when we long for any relationship that is not grounded in obedience to Jesus Christ and his model, let me ask you something. 
Is there any peace? Is there any peace in addiction? Is there any peace in hatred? Is there any peace in trying to be in control? No. We're tormented. Too often, we don't even know the answer to this question because we have not let Jesus take the place of what it is we are trying to hold on to to gain the world's stage. And all the while, Jesus stands waiting for us to belong body and soul in life and in death, not to ourselves, but to him as our faithful Savior. My friends, to seek a blessing anywhere but from Jesus is to fail to accept that only Jesus can give us what we need. There's a great scene in the film, The Mission. It's It's an older film now, but you all need to see it. And in it, a man who has been living in a ministry position has decided that he needs to take up the world's way to gain peace. And he goes to his mentor and he says, I need you to bless me in going out because I'm going to get those guys. And he says, I can't give you a blessing. He said, why not? He said, because if you're right in going out to get those guys, you don't need my blessing. And if you're not right, my blessing will not make any difference. Hmm? That's just it. Until Jesus is our only blessing, we can't have a blessing. Here is something we all need to take to heart, and I, and I conclude with this because it's not just some obscure story of someone you've never met before or about something that's never happened to you. It is about you, and it's about me, and it's about what's happening to us in this fleeting life. And I'm 64 years old, so I know. <laughs> On his 39th birthday, poet Christian Wyman was diagnosed with an incurable form of blood cancer, 39 years old. And he wrote frankly about the agonizing effects of his illness and and the treatments. He said, I have had bones die and bowels fail, joints lock in my face and arms and legs so that I could not eat, could not walk. I have passed through pain I could never have imagined, pain that seemed to incinerate all my thoughts of God and to leave me sitting there in ashes alone. When the diagnosis came, Wyman was a rising star in the literary world and the editor of a most prestigious poetry publication. And though Wyman had confessed, his Christian faith had evaporated in the blast of modernism and secularism to which he was exposed in college. The diagnosis, he says, started a journey that ultimately led him back to God. It wasn't a particular doctrine that drew him back to faith, although I believe it was, Christ alone. But rather, Wyman found a friend in the suffering Messiah, that Jesus suffers with us and for us. He said, I am a Christian because of that moment on the cross, Jesus drinking the very dregs of human bitterness, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The point is that God is with us, not beyond us, in our suffering. And our suffering is not just from a rare blood disease or a broken heart. It is from being separated from God, and we all know it. That's our suffering. That's where we cry out. And God joins us in that and says, I'm not leaving you alone. He said, I am a Christian because I understand 
that moment of Christ's passion to have meaning in my own life and what it means is that the absolute solitary and singular nature of human pain, extreme human pain, is an illusion. I will not be alone no matter where I am, no matter what I am facing. The God of the universe has come and died for me and is standing with me in the darkest time to bring light. There is no darkness in God, someone said once recently, but in my darkest time I saw the light of God. And that's exactly what's taking place. He says, I'm not suggesting that ministering angels are going to come down and comfort you as you die. I'm suggesting that Christ's suffering shatters the iron walls around individual human suffering. And in that, God's angels do minister to us in our spiritual and our literal dying. In the face of brutal, isolating pain, whatever that may be, we don't really want answers. We want a person. We want a God who put on flesh and blood, who has come to us and called us by name and said, I know you're hurting. I will be there. I will lead you through this. At such times, there is simply no presence. There is no substitute for the presence of Jesus Christ. And he is there. He is not beyond us. He is right with us. So let me ask you as we conclude. Do you know why we need Jesus alone and not Jesus plus something else? Because he is the real thing. And everything else in this life that says it is, is fake. It will end. Everything else in this life is going to end. These bodies are going to wear out. But what Jesus gives us will not wear out. It only grows sweeter and gets deeper and pushes out even death itself such that in the midst of everything else we can say, every single one of us, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May we know this and live this and make it known so that others may know Jesus as the only way home. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we stand on the shoulders of Jesus Christ and upon the shoulders of those who have testified in the darkest times that you alone are the one who makes all things new. Lord, we're living lives, each of us, that need this every single hour of every single day, and we need not to be distracted from this promise, but rather we need to let your Holy Spirit illuminate our darkest times by your presence with us, Christ alone. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are with us and leading us and showing us your way. May we be evidence of that to a world that does not know. In your precious name we pray. Amen. You belong to the God of the universe. Don't ever forget that. In fact, as we go out from this place, because we belong to the God of the universe who came and lived and died and rose again for us, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. 
because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it. And go, therefore, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.